Open your Bibles to Joel chapter 2. As I was getting ready this morning, you can stand in honor of God's word with me. As I was getting ready um, this morning, Lisa and I were talking and I ran out of the room and I said, I, I've got to write some things down. I believe the Lord's kind of speaking to me um, about the message. So this message, even though it was written a few weeks ago, um, portions of it were written a few minutes ago or a few hours ago too. And I really believe it's a word for us today. God has really put a burden on my heart for those of you that are here today. And so I'm going to begin reading Joel 2, Joel 2 18. It says, Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You'll no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I'll send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea. Those in the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you'll have all the food you want, and you'll praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. Father God, if we have discovered anything about you, you are the God who restores. Father God, you can give us back years that the locusts have eaten. And so, Father, bring a word of strong encouragement and exhortation this morning. Give me the courage to speak it, and Father, give your people the courage to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. Oh, it's got this handy little holder up here. Nice, okay. I don't think I've ever used that yet. God is a God of restoration. Um, we believe in this so much so that we named our church Restore Church. People have always said, didn't you, when you started, weren't you Resurrection Life Church? Why did you change your name? Because that only told you where we came from. It didn't tell you who we are. And so when you attend, you're not going to see Pastor Dwayne and, and Corbin's not Ken Reynolds or Jared Gregory. And we, we wanted you to know who we are and why we believe our church exists. So in our name, it states not only who we are, but why we are. We believe in a God that restores and God promises restoration. So God doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're really, you've really been messing up. This is not going to go well for you. Um, I'm scared for you. You know, this is going to be. God promises you restoration. 
If indeed you're seeking him, if indeed you're, you're turning to him, if indeed you're acting on the prayers that you've been praying, sure, faith comes by hearing, but wisdom comes by hearing and doing. And so if you're wise, you're not just hearing alone, you're hearing and you're doing. Pastor John, why haven't some of my prayers been answered? Why haven't you acted on the prayers that you've been praying? Where are the steps of faith that correspond with the prayers that you've prayed? I believe the difference between praying and praying and believing is acting on the prayers that you've prayed. You pray and you believe, and so you act on what you believe. So many people never see the answers to their prayer because all they've been doing is praying and they've never acted on those things that they're believing God for. What will you be trusting God with? How will you apply those, those principles that you've learned in Scripture? How will you step out in faith? And so this message this morning, I'm going to give even a portion of, of my testimony that maybe some of you have heard, maybe seven, some of you haven't heard, but this message this morning is not only about a God that restores, but a God that would call you to not deal with your fears, but to, to, to face your fears. Because I don't believe fear is something that's dealt with. I think fear is something that's faced. And there's a marked difference. And so in Second Chronicles 7, um, you can turn there if you want, if you've got your Bibles. Um, you're going to go First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7, God speaking to Solomon. Here, famous portion of Scripture. Verses 12 through 15. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. Or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my tears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Notice, at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. God speaking. Then in verse 14 he says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So they must have been headed in a wicked direction. They must have been about things that are wicked. But if they'll humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek God's face and pray, God promises to forgive their sins and heal their land because God is a restorative God. But you cannot expect God to come and meet you as you're hanging on to those sins. You will find God meet you as you turn from those sins and turn towards him. God's not cutting deals. He, he's, he's not catering to those fears that you're hanging on to. He wants you to face those fears so that he can deliver you. Okay, are you with me so far? I love how God restores when his people return to him, if my people, who are called by my name. God restores when we return. Joel 2.19, I love it. God here shows us that restoration is when God meets our needs. So part of restoration is God meeting our needs. Part of our restoration is God meeting our needs. And that word satisfying, verse 19, it means contentment due to having physical needs met in abundance or excess. 
And then it says, surely the Lord has done great things. Isn't it amazing how your memory just beats you up as you remember all of those horrible moments? Have you ever been driving down the road and you just shudder or you just cringe because you remember a moment from your past? And it's almost like the devil's beating you up again with past memories. Do you also realize that your memory has been given to you by God so that you can remember great things that he has done? And that God doesn't want you remembering all of the blunders and all the times you've blown it. He wants you to remember him and all the great things that he's done. Because those obstacles that you were facing back then aren't any bigger than the ones you're facing now. The ones we're facing now just seem bigger because we're facing them now. And God wants you to remember he has done great things and he doesn't stop doing great things. So many times we're just not facing him. We just haven't turned towards him. And so it doesn't seem like God is doing great things anymore. I assure you he is. He has not stopped. We stopped. We began to murmur and complain instead of continue and seek him. We did that. God did not fail us. God hasn't let us down. God hasn't blown it where we're concerned. Surely the Lord has done great things. Notice something here, and you won't probably know this unless you study it a little, a little bit, but it tells us here in verse 20, I will drive away these armies from the north. I'll send them into the parched wastelands. Those in front will be driven into the Dead Sea. Those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of the rotting bodies will rise over the land. You're gonna find that the book of Joel is a very, very prophetic book. And here, the tide kind of turns and it goes from a word that Joel is giving to the people then and there. And now it takes on much more of an end times picture. That, those words, armies from the north, if you have an ESV with you, it probably says the northerner. The northerner. Well, we, we know that this isn't a reference to to locusts, because as I was studying this here in, you know, northern United States, we don't know what a locust plague is. But down south, locust plagues usually came from the south. In fact, they would come from the north with such rarity that there is just no possible way that northerner could be referring to a locust plague. No, 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 this is an eschological term referring to the last days Gog and Magog seen in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as armies coming from the north. So all of a sudden it, it shifts and we know that the book of Joel um, was written as Joel was, was watching this locust plague that was taking place in his day. God began to speak to him through that instance and began to show him things as far-reaching as the last days. And so here in this instance, the northerner or, or, or the armies from the north here, it's an eschological term of an attack that's going to come from northern armies. So now we are talking about last day's stuff and the tide has now changed and it's gotten quite strong. So it's not just ministering to the people of the day then and it was a word and not just ministering to you and I now, but it's talking about the last days as well, or as Rick Renner would say, we are in the very last of the last days, he believes. And so these are last, last day's terms. So ver verse 20 really packs quite a punch as we look at it. I will drive away these armies from the north. Now 
God speaking through Joel, he's looking in to the end of it all. I will drive away these armies from the north. I'll send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea. Those in the rear in the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Based on all of this, we're reminded that the Lord has done great things. And in verse 21, we're told not to be afraid, to be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Again, we're reminded. I want to show you a similar, a similar portion of Scripture in Isaiah 41, if you'll turn there with me. This is a portion of Scripture that's very, very near and dear to my heart. I, if ever I need encouragement, if ever I'm going through a difficult time, I will find myself very often coming back to this portion of Scripture here. And let me kind of set this up as to, uh, to why uh, this portion of Scripture means so much to me. Um, years ago, um, when uh, um, I'm, I'm guessing... I don't think Carson was, was born yet. Um, and so he's 16, so 17 or so years ago. Um, I was wrestling with, um, with fear, anxiety, panic attacks, heart palpitations. My heart was pounding in my head. I would go out the front door of our house, no matter how cold it was, just to breathe fresh air. And if you've ever struggled with anxiety or, or panic attacks, you know exactly what I'm what I'm talking about, and please don't have one as I'm talking about it. Um, but I was, was wrestling with it, and so I'm praying, you know, God, what did you send me to? I own you to kill me. Kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness. Did you bring us out here just to kill us? Um, I, was, I was thinking that, I mean, is this your plan, you know, so that I could, you know, get, meet a whole bunch of new people and begin to pastor them, and then you just kill me in front of them all? I mean, is this, is this the deal? Is this the, okay, you know, cool. And I just began to pray, God, set me free. Deliver me from this stuff. And I knew that I needed to take a corresponding step of faith to, you know, to put my prayers. You know, I want you to know I practice what I preach. And I was, and it's amazing how God provides opportunities for you to, to face fear. Um, the enemy wants you to run from him. God's providing you opportunity to face him. And I had an opportunity to go on a very well-organized and orchestrated trip to South Africa. And I thought, wow, South Africa's pretty far away. You know, I'll, uh, you know, I you know, maybe need to pray about it. It felt like God wanted me to go. And then I looked up to see how far away South Africa was. And I discovered that it was a 20-hour flight um, in legs, you know, 20 hours. And so if you've ever wrestled with fear before, a 20-hour flight ought to do her, um, ought to take care of her. And uh, so I felt like I was supposed to go. And what I also found out is that 20 hours of flight, but also a four-hour car ride after we touched the ground in Johannesburg. So 24 hours of travel. And any fear that, you know, I figured I could possibly have has got to be faced, you know, in the, in the course of that. And I got to stay with a wonderful family, the Ninnemans, Gary and Kim Ninnemans and their two boys, Carl and Michael, got to, to stay with them and uh, Gary, and they've come here to America, and they visited here, and Gary, he has spoken at the church. Gary is very prophetic, and he said, I have a portion of Scripture for you. And I said, you do? And he gave me Isaiah 40, 41. And so I want to read just a portion of it, not everything that Gary 
gave me, but I want to read a portion of it to you, and I want to encourage you today. It says, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. Gary didn't know that I was facing my fears to come there. You know, I was a, a pastor from America, and I'm strong, and I'm bold, and, and uh, never struggle with anything. And uh, he gave me this portion of scripture. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. Please note that discouragement and the spirit of fear, they're kissing cousins. They go hand in hand. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I'll hold you with my victorious right hand. Please note, God speaking here saying, I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Note right, right hand being used here. It's a symbol of strength. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. See all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You'll look in vain for those who try to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing for I will hold you by your right hand, the Lord's now saying. Again, strength. God's victorious right hand now holding us by our right hand. The strength I have, I'm giving you. I, the Lord your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Though you are a lowly worm, O Jacob, don't be afraid, people of Israel, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I'm the Holy One of Israel. You'll be a new threshing instrument with many sharp teeth. You'll tear your enemies apart, making chafe of the mountains. You'll toss them into the air, and the wind will blow them all away. A whirlwind will scatter them. Then you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Similar to Joel chapter 2, do you see the connection with not being afraid and rejoicing? With not being afraid and rejoicing. Why can you rejoice in the midst of fear? Because when you face your fears, you find that they come to nothing. Fear is a demonic spirit, real. Anybody that's ever struggled with fear, anxiety, it is a real fear. I remember hearing Jack Hayford one time say, you can say whatever you want. You can think that I'm nuts. He said, the spirit of fear that I was dealing with was so real I could have pointed where it was in the room that day. It's real. It's genuine. It's genuine. But in America, we are not dealing or facing with our fears. We're running from them. And I want to offer three things that you will have a tendency to run to in one form or another. Three things you'll have a tendency to run to as you're running from your fear and you're not dealing with them. You will run to sex in some way, shape, or form. Whether it is pornography, whether it is an adulterous affair, you will run to sex. Sex will be something that you run to because you want to feel better and you want to get your mind off of the fears that you're dealing with and so you will gravitate to something that is sexual. The second thing that you'll run to is substance. You will run to substance. That's why you are still using that prescription medication that you were given after surgery to help with the pain and your surgery took place a year or two ago. You will run to a something. That's why you've got to have that beer. You've got to have that glass of wine. You've got to have that shot of liquor before you go to bed at night because you just don't know if you'll be able to sleep if you don't have that. Well, then stay up all night and pray then. Let the devil know that if you're going to keep me up, you're going to be sorry you kept me up because I'm going to pray and I'm going to intercede. I'm going to bathe my family. I'm going to bathe the church leadership in prayer. And then the last thing that you will run to, and I'm, this isn't, you know, some conclusive study, just things that I found. If you're not going to run to something that's sexual, if you're not going to run to a substance, 
You're gonna run to silver. You're gonna run to money and what money can buy. That's why those charge cards are all maxed out because the way that you feel better about yourself is if you go buy something. And here's what's crazy about all of that. You never deal with the root of the issue. You never deal with your heart. You just keep putting new things or surrounding yourself with new things that never deals with the root. And so you gotta go buy something. Shopping therapy. You gotta, you've gotta go purchase something, things you can't even afford. And a charge card that's so maxed out that you can't even make, make a dent in the interest that's on that thing. Sex, substance, or silver. Or you can face your fears. Pastor John, why is it so important that we face our fears? Luke 21, 26 says that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. If you do not face your fears, you will run from them. You will self-medicate in some way. My dad used to joke around that the bottle of whiskey in the cabinet was for medicinal purposes. Well, if that was true, dad was sick an awful lot because he went on to be an alcoholic and the remaining years of his life, you know, his body struggled and suffered with the extensive smoking and the, and the drinking that he did. And in times of stress and in times of high anxiety, you run to one of those three things instead of facing and dealing with those things. And isn't it amazing that fear and anxiety is more rampant today than ever in the course of history? And the Bible says that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. For fear. So whatever your trigger is, a substance that makes you feel better, sex that makes you feel better, some kind of self-gratification, um, money that could purchase something for you that makes you feel better, you're running. You're running. You're not dealing you're not dealing with anything. Why is it so important? Because in the last days, if we are going to minister like God has called the church to minister, then we have to face our fears because we need to help people face theirs. And let me just say this. Let me go on record and say this. If you will not face your fears, you have no ministry in the last days. You, you have no ministry in the last days. I don't, I don't care who you are, how smart you are, how big your church might be. You have no ministry in the last days when things are going to get really ugly and people are going to become more and more fearful if you're not facing yours. Because all you're going to do is eventually teach them how to have this closet habit, this closet issue that you found that you can run to and that's all you really need to cope. Yes, Jesus is there and ever-present help him in times of trouble, but those moments where he doesn't seem to be there, then you can run to this, your pet sin, your closet sin, your, your stuff. Face your, face your fears. Face your fears and deal with them in a healthy way. Just don't pray that God would take the fear away from you. Pray that God would strengthen you as you face your fears and you'll find that God cooperates with prayers like that a heck of a lot better than accommodating you as you self-medicate and as you make yourself feel better. Christianity is not a catering service. Catering to your flesh, Christianity is calling you to crucify your flesh so that you can do what God would call and ask you to do. Not expecting a lot of amens this morning, that's okay. So, um, notice in Joel 2, verses 21 through 23, three exhortations. Um, there, there are exhortations based on God's faithfulness. We're told twice not to be afraid, three times to rejoice. And these are based on, on God's faithfulness. 
that God is faithful. He is there. He is there. Well, Pastor John, if God's there, then why am I going through this? What if you're going through it to make you stronger? What if this thing that you think is going to take you out is strengthening you so that you never have to be there again? What if, and the only way that you are going to ever get over this, and we're called to be overcomers, not copers, and not codependents, and, and not really good at dealing with stuff. We're called to face our fears and to be overcomers in this life. Jesus, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're called to be an overcomer so that you would never have to deal with this again. You are going through this again. Let me show you a portion of scripture I didn't give the first service. I'm sorry, but that's, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. Judges, Judges 2, Judges 2, end of Judges 2. God speaking said, I did this to test Israel, Judges 2.22, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why I left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. These are the nations, chapter 3, Judges 3, that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. There are two reasons why God would seemingly allow things to remain, to test and improve our character and to teach and to show us how to fight our battles. What godly father would not want you to know how to defend yourself? And how in the world are you ever gonna find out how to defend yourself if you avoid every scrape and every fight that comes your way? No, those battles have come for a reason and those things remain for a reason and they're to test and to prove you so that you will become battle-wise and battle-strong. Psalm 144, verse 1. Doesn't he train our hands and our fingers for battle, for war? God does that. God does that. And yet we act as if when the battle comes, we don't know what in the heck is going on. God, where are you? And God's like, I'm right here with you in the battle. Get back in the battle. Get back in. And we shrink back from the battle, and we don't want anything to do with the battle, and anything that has to do with suffering could not possibly have anything to do with Jesus and salvation. He's a suffering savior, remember? He came and died for you and paid quite a price, remember? Well, Pastor John, I thought Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't have to. Whoever told you that Christianity was void of suffering? As long as you have flesh, you are gonna deal with suffering. You're gonna deal with opposition. Whoever told you that? What a lie. In fact, my Bible says that those who are godly are going to suffer for Christ Jesus, for Christ's sake. You're not suffering for your sake, you're suffering for his sake. And you're getting stronger whether you realize it or not. You're becoming wiser whether you realize it or not. The only way you won't become wiser and stronger is if you don't deal with those things, if you won't face them, and you just keep running, and you keep circling the mountain. You keep going back to that substance, you keep going back to that sexual issue, you, you keep going back to that spending addiction. I just got to go out and buy something. I just, I mean, I know people that blow through houses. I know people that blow through cars. I know people that just got clothing and things they can't, they can't even afford because it makes you feel better. You want to feel better? Allow God to deal with your heart. And then all the other stuff is icing on the cake. God changes you from the inside, from the inside out, from the inside out. This morning I wrote that 
Those ministering in the last days, and we're all called the ministry, don't kid yourself. Every one of us, we have influence, and every one of us have, have a ministry, every one of us. Um, maybe God's not calling you to stand up in front of people and, and to preach, but you all have a ministry. That those ministering in the last days will have found God to be faithful in their fears as they've run to him and not the things they run to in fear as they're catering to their flesh. As you face your fears and run to Jesus, you're going to find him to be more than faithful. More than faithful. And that's exactly what you need to discover and you need to pass it on to your children and your children's children. Run to Jesus. 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 Psalm 37, verse 3 in the New King James says that we can feed on God's faithfulness. He's so faithful we can feed on it. He's there and you can feed on that. In Lamentations 3.23, we're told his faithfulness is great and his mercies are new every morning, every morning, every morning because we need his mercies to be fresh and new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. We've sung it for years. He is a faithful God. He's a God that restores. And he is a God that will help you face your fears, but he is not going to be in a part, he's not going to be any part of you running from your fear. That's why those running from their fears wonder where God is. Well, he's definitely not in you running. He's running, he's in you standing and fighting. He equips you to stand, to fight. Who gets stronger by avoidance? You get stronger through standing and resistance. I mean, who goes and works out and doesn't put any weight at all on the bar or, or doesn't, you know, no, 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 I'm just going to do some air weights, some imaginary weights today. And it, it just makes me feel better. I don't, you know, I'm not sore. And I just, it, this, it really, it's, all, it's just better all the way around. And that stuff, it's so heavy, so heavy. That's right. That's why it's not supposed to sit on you. That's why you push it away from you with your arms, your legs, and in the process, you become stronger as you're pushing it off of you, as you're lifting it up, you become stronger. Even in the natural, to stay in shape, we understand that. Why is it in the spiritual we don't get it? Why is it in the spiritual when resistance or heaviness comes, we let it sit on us? I feel so heavy today, as if you're chasing the heaviness. I think some people have been under a spirit of heaviness for so long, they don't even know how to get it off them. And they're now catering to it and they're medicating it. And I found if you want it, it'll stay. Pastor John, I've been praying for years and the Lord hasn't taken it away. What have you done to cooperate with the prayers that you've been praying? What have you done? I mean, that's the same as, as somebody saying that I've wanted to be a Christian for a long time, but I've never invited Jesus into my heart. Not say that that can't happen. I've had people say that. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Well, let me help you. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. Anything in Scripture not only is based on faith, but a step of faith. That's why faith with works works. Faith without works is dead. Faith with works is alive. Your faith should be corresponding with action that says that not only are you a believer, but you're living like a believer. And we're all in process wherever we're at. 
Or, you know, nobody, don't, don't compare yourself. That's to, it gets crazy. It gets maddening. And pastors are the worst at that. They see other pastors and what they got going on and they begin to compare themselves and it gets crazy and they get discouraged and they don't even want to go to conferences anymore because they don't want to hear another pastor bragging about how wonderful their church is and how, it, how it's not even on land anymore. It's floating on a cloud now and it's just amazing. You know, people are getting saved and we're not even having church services. It's amazing. You know, 12 people were risen from the dead last week. Absolutely made. Pastors get discouraged through that stuff. Don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself. Bring yourself to Jesus. Stick your nose in the word of God. Get your keys through to church. Bring yourself to Jesus. Begin to pray prayers and begin to act on those prayers that you've been praying. What have you been praying? Pastor John, I've been believing that my family, that my loved ones would get saved. Have you ever asked them if they wanted to ask Jesus into their heart? Have you ever invited them into a church service where they could ask Jesus into their heart? Where's the step? Where's the step? And I would also say to those of you that have been dealing with fear, have a verse that you are standing on. If you've ever dealt with fear, it can be paralyzing. Take your breath away if you've ever had to deal with it. Have a verse that you're standing on. Mine was Isaiah 8, 13. The Lord of hosts, him shall you hollow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Have a scripture that you use. Doggone it, you've been given that sword. Don't leave it in the sheath. Pull it out and use the word of God as you face your fears because we all, I think, deal with fear some way or another. I do not know of a solid ministry that God is genuinely using that. That minister or those people in ministry have not had to deal with fear in some way, shape, or form. I mean, you name it. Some of the biggest ministries that you know of have faced some of the greatest fears that you might not know of. Some of them are included in books, and I've read, but unbelievable, paralyzing fears. That's why people will say things like, well, we started to get involved at the church, and then just everything hit the fan in our house. Well, of course it did. My son Colin the other day was just telling me, Dad, when I'm Reading the Bible consistently, I, my, I got all these physical afflictions going on, but when I stay away from the Bible, I feel great. And I said, well, hello, put two and two together. I'd say for any other belief system, head in the path of least resistance. For Christianity, you know you're tracking if there is resistance, if there are obstacles. And you know what? You get stronger. You get stronger. And those things that were so huge, those mountains that were so big, they're foothills over time. And you're not wrestling with the stuff that you, that you once did. You're stronger. You're stronger. And God wants you stronger. Notice how it says rejoice. How there's a, there's a, a theme in Scripture if you're looking for it. Don't be afraid rejoice. Don't be afraid rejoice. Do not fear rejoice. Why? Because Scripture tells us in Nehemiah 8.10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's strength in joy. Not fake, not superficial, but in God-given joy, there's strength. Because you found out how to run to Him. And you found that you can rejoice in the midst of trials. Why do you think James in chapter 1 says, Rejoice, brethren, whenever you face trials, tribulations of any kind. Why would he say that? It seems so counterintuitive, but it's biblical, and it's so sound. Rejoice, my God's faithful. My God's got this. My God's got this. My God's got this.
Have you ever had anyone threaten you in such an outlandish way that you found yourself laughing? Are you, you, you serious? Okay, all right, yeah, okay. Um, I, and the stronger you get in the Lord, that's exactly how you can treat the attacks of the enemy. Are you, you serious? You, you remember the last time you kept me up all night? You remember, I got that word for the church. You remember, you probably don't want to keep me up. You probably want me to sleep. Please don't be a shock that attacks come. Please don't be a shock that attacks come. Don't. But get your spiritual game on. I must be doing something right. I must be headed in a right direction. Devil's more than happy to accommodate you as you're running from God. Get your brand new Nikes, whatever you need. But as you're standing, that's when you find out all about the armor that God's equipped you with. You find out about the weaponry that he's given you. I don't know about you, but I found that the armor of God, it's ineffective when I run. It only is useful when I stand and when I, when I fight. It's the wicked that flee when no one's pursuing. It's the righteous that are as bold as a lion. And I want to close this service out by praying boldness over you. Boldness over you. The only way that you are going to be able to deal with find out is by facing it. And you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that the devil is more like a bully. And he's always trying to write checks that he can never cash. He's always threatening you and demanding and demanding your lunch money. Sooner or later, you've got to step up to the bully and say, uh-uh, I'm hungry today. You're not getting my lunch money. I've been looking forward to lunch all day long, and I'm sick and tired of caving into you. Let's go and you choose to stand and fight. You choose to stand and fight. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And running from God, cooperating with the devil is so exhausting, 10 times more exhausting than standing and fighting. You expend a lot more energy running than you do standing. And God's called us to stand and to fight. I'm going to begin praying if God is speaking.